Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, February 12th, 2023, we continue our new series titled Knowing Jesus, the Gospel of Luke. Today's sermon, Promises of God, will be taught to us by Pastor Jeff Stevens out of Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. But first, here's a quick recap of last week's sermon. And so Luke says, I'm going to tell you the story of Jesus, the true story, because we have to have what he accomplished. It's Jesus fulfilling prophecy, doing miracles, displaying the power and the character of God, and then willingly going to the cross and dying, getting buried in a borrowed tomb three days later to to rise alive, and in so doing, defeat death and the grave. He is the hero of the story. Now, you and I, if we trust in him, we have hope of victory in our lives. I need to know who to follow. I need to know the one who overcame death in the grave. Last week, Pastor Bob uh, shared with us um, kind of the narrative story uh, that Luke is bringing. And in this narrative story, he uh, stated that, that this is Jesus is the hero of the story, and it's about what Jesus accomplished. And so today, as we look about narratives, we want to understand it from a perspective of example. Um, not only does the narrative tell us specifically what took place at that time, but it gives us great insight into understanding where we sit today. Narratives bring compare and contrast. The difficulty of preaching them is that there's no imperatives, right? There's nothing commanding you to go do something in particular, but there is, in fact, understanding that uh, the narrative is explaining something important, Every word actually counts. In fact, Pastor Bob said that um, he used the, the Greek word was paradosis, right, which means eyewitness. And in this eyewitness, it's to show certainty. The narrative is based on the eyewitness, and today we'll look at it from both the past and the present. It also talked about honesty of the account. The narrative tells us uh, what we need to know about God's character and who God is. There's also complexity of details, as he stated, that there's an accuracy as it shows the information that makes us not only know, but uh, understand why God is distinct. It shows comparison and contrasting. Today I'll use several illustrations of the then and the now. But ultimately, what it shows us is what I call a kingdom prologue. It shows us a continuity. There's a continuity that's taking place here from the Old Testament to the New Testament. There's a transition underway. And in this transition, the temple itself is going to begin to take on a new role as prophecy is fulfilled of John the Baptist coming. We see that in Isaiah 40. It's verses 3 and 5, 3 through 5, if you ever want to look that up. But that's the prophecy of John the Baptist and how he will come. But this can't be lost here is that this is about the hero of the gospel. It is about the person of Jesus Christ. Our salvation, as Bob said, is predicated on the accomplishments of Jesus. And even as we enter into prayer and worship, 
of God, it is accomplished by and through Jesus Christ. We know that the requirement to enter into his presence is perfection. The law gave us a standard which defined that which was perfection. But only Jesus himself has perfectly fulfilled the law. And when we enter into his presence, we enter it into it through the, per, uh, the perfection of Jesus himself. Hebrews 12, 14 tells us that we're supposed to pursue peace with all men, all humanity, and holiness. And without this holiness, no one will see the face of God. So the requirement is perfection. But today, we're going to enter into that throne room through the perfection of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, we come to you. We humbly submit ourselves to you. We want to look at your word, Lord, and have your spirit reveal to us your truth. Uh, And Lord, how would we apply this word, this narrative, uh, to our everyday life? Help us, Lord, to glorify you. Help us to grow in your grace. And help us to know your son more clearly. Amen. Point one today is that we must remember who and where you are. You have to not only know where you are, but you need to know specifically who you are in Christ. And where you stand is in fact holy ground. Because the Holy Spirit indwells you today, the holy ground and the temple of God is within you. We'll see this in verses five through 10. It says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. First, what I want to do is just look at at Zechariah's pedigree. He comes from the division of Abijah, If you want to look at that historically, it's in 1 Chronicles 24, uh, verses 1 through 19, where David himself would divide uh, the sons uh, of Aaron uh, into divisions, 24 divisions, in fact. Uh, These would be the sons and the grandsons uh, of the generations that uh, came after Aaron and Moses. But David is the one who's going to organize them. It's important for us to understand that Elizabeth was his wife and she was a daughter from the lineage of Aaron and that they were considered, importantly, righteous before God. This means they followed the commands of God. This does not mean that they themselves were perfect, but they were righteous because of their faith in a holy God. They did, in fact, follow the commands But we have to remember that the temple itself at that time offered sacrifices for sins of ignorance, not sins of willful disobedience. This was important for us to understand. They were also older and they were without children. Elizabeth was barren or infertile. And this becomes difficult, especially in that time, because, and in their pedigree of who they are. 
The responsibility was great to bear a child, and in particular to bear a son, who would in fact one day replace Zechariah in the temple within the, the division of the Abijah. There would be a naming of him that would be important to recognize his lineage and where he came from. The location that they're at is important. Zechariah was serving with incredible honor to be inside the temple at the altar of incense, and I'm going to show you in a minute exactly where he would have been. It's also important to note that others were praying outside. I think it's important for us to understand what would they be praying for? What should we be praying for? How does our prayer life actually go? It's important also for us to understand this scene is taking place inside the temple. This is a, a rare look inside the temple, and there is a comparison of this temple to the temple that is within us today. I hope that I can give you a decent picture of it. When we look on the screen at the temple and how it would have been laid out and understanding from step one all the way to the Ark of the Covenant, it would be the outer court is where the gate would be. There wouldn't be multiple gates. There would only be one gate. And the gate, of course, today represents the person of Jesus Christ. When he tells us, I am the gate and no one can enter but through me. There is only one way into the holy temple, and it's through the person of Jesus Christ. The step two is, is to make a personal commitment as a living sacrifice. This is where the sacrifices would have been made, so that they would have been cleansing themselves of the sins of ignorance. We get these terms here where the priests would lay hands upon the goats, and as the goats would be slaughtered, we get this term scapegoat that this goat would be released out into outer darkness. Sacrifice was important. Blood sacrifice. At station two, the labor, right, this is where we seek personal cleansing and forgiveness as we confess our sin. And I'll get to what we would pray in just a second. At, at station four, this is where uh, the prayer according to the word. This is not where we would make our uh, uh, supplications known. This is where we would pray specifically in accordance to the very word of God. And then as we'd cross over to the lamp, this is where we invite the filling of the Holy Spirit and ask him to guide us and to intercede us. And then at station six, this is where Zechariah is standing. This is the altar of incense. It's where our prayer is pleasing to God. It is a sweet aroma to God. And that's why the burning of the incense just outside the veil. Because on the other side of the veil is where we would have found the holy of holies, the ancient of days. We can boldly enter into his presence through the veil with awe and reverence today. Then it was a frightful event. For entering into the holy of holies without being righteous before God would strike a man dead. And then, of course, the eighth station, the ark, is where you intercede for yourself and others. But here's the prayers. In the outer court, you enter through the gate, and it implies other aspects of the prayer prior to our petition. You start your prayer with thanksgiving and praise. You start your prayer outside the gate 
with thanksgiving and praise, namely thanking Jesus Christ for sacrificing himself for you. As you get into the inner court, you offer yourself to the Lord. You thank him for dying in your place because this is the place of commitment. And then as you go to the bronze laver, right, you confess your sin and you restore your position of fellowship with holy God. As you enter into the holy place, the golden table, right across from the lampstand, God's word becomes the guide of your requests. You ask things specifically in accordance to the very will of God. And again, the golden lampstand. This is the oil, the light, and the fire. They are symbols of the Holy Spirit. And then as you enter into the Holy of Holies today, you know that there are no barriers that are preventing our entry into the Holy of Holies because you're entering into the Holy of Holies with perfection. The perfection of Jesus Christ, his works, his righteousness. For after that crucifixion, the veil was torn in two and we can enter into that Holy of Holies 24-7. And of course, this becomes the place of petition. Because here you are in God's presence. It's where you make requests for yourself and others. But it is also important to understand that this is where the angels and the heavenly witnesses to our conversations and the conversations that they have with our heavenly father. That's the then and the now. Today, Christ's death, his resurrection tore this veil and we enter into it 24 seven. But back in this historical moment with Zechariah, I want us to look at verses 11 through 17. And don't miss the obvious here. That's actually the point. Don't miss the obvious how God works with us in our everyday life. I know that for most people, myself, I'll, I'll just pick on myself, um, I can really put the brakes on an optimist conversation. <laughs> because I mean, it's like the kids coming home with that... The, uh, you know, one of my son-in-laws, when they first, first met me, it's like, what's he going to do for a job? How's he going to support you? Right? Immediately into all the negatives, right, within all those things, because you just want to be a protective father. Rather than look at the gift that God is giving you with a, a godly man coming for your daughter. It's amazing how that goes right past me and immediately into, will he ever have a job? But look at what he does here in 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready 
for the Lord a prepared a people that are prepared. This is good news, right? This is incredible news. This is where my children, because I'm a worst case scenario guy, bought me this book for Christmas, the worst case scenario survival handbook. <laughs> because all these things that just came out here, I would be wanting to turn to the page, like, well, here's one, how to deliver a baby in a taxi cab. <laughs> how do you land a plane if you need it? This would be overwhelming to me. But the angel of the Lord appears here just outside the veil, right of the altar of incense. His back is to the veil. He's standing to the very right of the altar. And there he is telling Zechariah exactly what's going to happen. He's shocked. He's troubled with fear because no one's supposed to be in there. It's supposed to be empty as he prepares a way for the Lord. Do you get it? Because Zechariah is to wave the incense so that the aroma of our prayers would be sweet aroma unto God, likened to that of John the Baptist. But the angel is giving him great news, good news. His prayers have been heard. Uh, his wife will bear a son. He's wrestling with an old thought here. We've seen this all throughout the Old Testament. We've seen Abraham and Sarah struggle over God telling them, I will bring you a son, a promised son. And immediately, because they are elderly and she is barren, they are thinking to themselves, this is not possible, but they laugh at God. But here, Gabriel, the angel, responds to him and says, your prayer has been answered but rather than trust the very word of God, he doesn't seem to understand the question. Years ago, when I was consulting uh, Disney, Disneyland and Disney World, um, we were training a lot of their people on the most asked question at Disneyland. And the most asked question you'd think is, where are your restrooms? Where are these different things? But the question we had to train people in was this question. When a guest comes to a park employee and says, excuse me, what time is the four o'clock parade? <laughs> Remember, this is the no thinking park, right? This is where people are just walking around, enjoying themselves, happiest place on earth. It's not really the question they're asking, and we had to train everybody not to laugh in their face. <laughs> to answer the real question, where should I be at what time for the four o'clock parade? It reminds me of that comedian, Bill Ingvall. Uh, he's the blue collar comedy guy that talks about here's your sign, right? He's, uh, his famous one is one day I locked my keys in my car. I was standing there with a hanger halfway over the door and this man approached me and says, hey, did you lock your keys in your car? I said, no, just washed it, hanging it up to dry. <laughs> here's your sign. Well, that's exactly what's going to happen here, is Gabriel is actually asking for a sign. He had an obvious moment where the angel of the Lord has appeared to him in a place that no one else is supposed to be, eight feet from the ancient of days. 
the holy of holies. And here he is questioning what's being said to him. Because he is the angel of the Lord, because he is standing in the temple next to the veil, your prayers have been answered. He's been told specifically, but he's like me, and he's going to say, oh, boy, how can that be? How, How will I know? Here's your sign. Our sign is that we need to learn to trust his word. Our point three today is trust his word. 18 through 20 shows us why we should trust his word. The angel said to Zechariah, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, here's your sign. You wanted a sign? I'm going to give you a sign. You will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. We must understand that when God brings a miracle, it reveals not only the truth in his word, but it glorifies him. The miracle is not for you. The miracle is for him to reveal his word, to reveal his glory. You see, the angel named is first witness, and Zechariah, as a high priest, would know this was first witnessed in in Daniel's chapters 9 and 10. The angel is going to be honest with him in this narrative, that he stands next to God. He's going to give him great details that he was sent by God to speak to him and bring him good news. He wants to give him what he asked for. He's going to give him a sign. Even though he'd already given the sign, 700 years ago in Isaiah chapter 40, that this is how things are going to roll out. But at this moment, you see Zechariah seemingly innocent question, how can this be and how can I know this? You see, this is the slight difference between what we'll hear next week from Pastor Thomas when Gabriel appears to Mary. A submissive response comes from there. But we start to understand that he is questioning something of what God is doing. But here's what Gabriel gives him. He gives him five signs. Five signs to be clear that the things that I just told you are happening. Here's what must be accomplished before you know everything is happening in accordance to God's plan and his will. Number one, you will have a son and his name will be John, not Zechariah. Not in the tradition of the priesthood. Number two, he will give joy and gladness to you because he is great in the Lord. This is exactly what Jesus refers to him as. Thirdly, he will stand in the tradition of the Nazarites, right? This is the Jewish custom, the biblical times where you were consecrated, you were set aside to God by vowing to avoid the drinking of wine, the cutting of your hair, etc. Fourthly, he will have the Holy Spirit before his birth. For each of us, the incredible thing is, is the Holy Spirit comes upon us after our birth, after we are older, after in those times. But in John's case, the Holy Spirit will be in him in utero. 
And fifthly, he will be in the spirit and the power of Elijah and turn people back to prepare them for God's coming in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, Elijah was uh, who the, the last prophet of the Old Testament that holds the keys of the sealing power. Because the sealing power is Christ that's passed this power onto the prophets of the New Testament. This authority is carried out carefully in the Lord's own way and under his specific direction. This coming of Jesus and what it means. Because here's what it means. Our fourth point, a promise made is a promise fulfilled. When God speaks it into existence, it will happen. Our trust, our hope, our faith is in the character of God that he is a God of his word. In 21 through 25, it says this, and the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, right, the, the service of Abijah, uh, he went to his home. We'll notice in, in 1, 39 and 40 that that's the hill country. It's the wilderness outside of Judah. And then 24, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. I'm going to come back to that phrase right there. It's important for us to know that he was immediately mute because when he finished the incense and he went out to greet everyone to know that the temple was ready, he couldn't say a thing. It would have been custom for him to come out and say something. People, in fact, knew he had seen something. And I believe what he was doing is playing the first game of charades. He was pantomiming, right, to the people that... Something amazing has just taken place. But because of his questioning, his doubt, he's now mute and he has to act out some way of what has just taken place because he can't contain himself. And then after his duty, he returned home. And then after Elizabeth would conceive, she would tell nobody for five months and she knows that God had looked upon her to take away her earthly shame. You see the pressure that would have been upon this, this woman as the wife of a, of a priest that works in the temple would have been great for her to produce a child, a son. I know that this becomes difficult for a lot of people to be infertile, but it is the world that puts this pressure, not God. It's important for us to understand that God's miracles reveal to us everything about him. This is not a punishment of infertility. God doesn't work that way. Psalm 103.10 tells us he does not punish us for our sin, nor does he repay us for our iniquity. It's not in the character of God to do this. But in this particular case, the, the worldly peer pressure that would have been upon her would have been great. And so she says that he looked on me and he took away my reproach among the people, not her reproach among God. 
Thomas next week will talk about some of the similar situations as Gabriel appears to Mary. We'll see something distinct in there. In, in our text in 18 and 20, Zechariah is asked to believe that God will do again what he's already done uh, for other elderly barren couples. There's nothing new here. But he says, how shall I know this? Because I just told you. The consequences of this is that he will remain mute for months before he comes to praise God audibly. Mary, on the other hand, in in verses 38 and 45, Mary is going to respond with a submissive faith. She's going to say, let it happen to me according to your word. Her trust and her dependence upon the very word of God. And as a result, she, who believed that there will be a fulfillment of things that were spoken to her, is ultimately in verse 45 going to be pronounced as blessed. But I want to take a moment because texts like these ones often awaken old feelings. For those of us that have lost a child through miscarriage or lost a child in a young or youthful age, or those who are in fact desiring to have a child but yet have not. Texts like these stir deep pains. They stir these deep yearnings. Her barrenness was a reproach. Her infertility was a reproach of people, not of God. It's important for us to understand that a barren woman in Scripture is a powerful starting point of the Spirit of God to begin his work inside his people. Hearers cannot help but bring to mind Sarah and Rachel and Rebecca and Hannah or even Samson's mother, each of whom pleaded with God to fill their wombs. It is because of people, not of God, that there's any shame in any of these things. God's spirit seems to hover over places that are humanly hopeless. But the call upon anyone who is suffering from this pressure in life is that God has given you an incredible calling to be faithful. It's faithfulness in the middle of a trial. It's dealing with the greatest difficulties of life. If this is a struggle, I, I, I want to I say to you, please, please, come see me. Let me encourage you with the word of God. Let me show you the beauty of Christ through his gospel. For God's love for you is incredibly great. That he would entrust you with such a responsibility of faithfulness that even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of tribulation, that all glory would be to him because the miracles that are taking place reveal his word and they reveal his glory. But let me close with three observations from our text today. Number one, faithfulness matters. Faithfulness matters. Christians, we are often lulled to sleep and we forget to praise God for his work in our lives and our circumstances. There's not a day that goes by that I'm not here and sustained because of the kindness, the goodness, and the grace of God. If you knew deep, intimate stories of my youth and my upbringing, you'd be looking at me as a walking miracle. There's no reason 
I should even be standing here today alive. We were morons. I say we because there was always more than just me. But Christians, we have to put our hope, our trust, our everything. Consider it pure joy when you encounter various forms of trials. God reveals himself in those trials every single day. That he's with you, he's for you, and he's giving you opportunity to glorify him. We must understand in faithfulness that this begins a new temple This new temple, right? We have this illustration from this narrative, but we have faith in God that I don't have to go to a place and sacrifice a goat or a bull, but I, in fact, know that the risen king, he has sacrificed everything so that I can enter in through that gate and I can bring glory to God as I worship him in awe and wonder. Zechariah himself is an eyewitness to the promises of God. And every single one of us here in this room are eyewitnesses every single day. Just watch the news. It validates Romans 1 every single time. The world is corrupt. The debased, depraved mind of humanity grows in its desire toward its own self-pleasure and finding comfort in everything except Jesus Christ. As sad as that brings my heart, it also reveals the beauty of Christ, that his word is trustworthy. If he said it, it will be done. It reminds me of that old bumper sticker many years ago. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you here today, God said it, that settles it. It does not require your belief because Jesus Christ will not change. His hope, his everything is in his promises and the word of God that was given to us. Have faith in that. Secondly, there's an honest credit that has to take place to him and to him alone. It is all about Christ. He is the one. All moments of personal, uh, all these moments, right, of personal and corporate revival or awakenings that take place, they begin with prayer. And whom are we praying to? Who is the object of our faith? To whose credit do I enter into the Holy of Holies? Not this guy. I enter in because of the works and the righteousness and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I must give credit where credit is due. The fact that I'm breathing here today is because of credit to him that he has another day for me to share the truth and the glory of him. All moments begin with prayer. Credits must be given. We must never assign credit. When God answers your prayer, it is not because of you, but it is exclusively of him. There is no great movement of God that has ever occurred that does not begin with an extraordinary prayer of God's people. Prayer is for us to come together before God in a clear agreement, visible union, extraordinary prayer is the next great awakening of this country and the world. Revival for that world to reach the lost for Christ. If you're sitting here today wondering, what is my purpose? What is my role in everything that God has for me? Go and make disciples of all nations. Teach them everything that you've heard of Jesus Christ. 
push them into the kingdom of God if you have to. If they're rich, stick your shoulder in the back end of that camel and shove it through the eye of the needle. The purpose of our existence is to glorify him by telling people the good news of Jesus Christ. And thirdly, pay attention to the details. Be patient with the hope that God will fulfill his promises. That God's going to fulfill his promises. Israel prayed their hearts out for this coming Messiah for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. They had waited for a sign. You realize at this particular point in time, they had seen no signs of the coming Messiah for 400 years. But the crowds would gather outside the temple, waiting to make their prayers known. Nothing has changed today, except we're not praying to see the Messiah. We're praying for the Messiah to come back and to claim his own. Come, Lord Jesus. Come today. I don't care about the outcome of the Super Bowl. I would love to see Jesus Christ at the halftime show. This text reveals God's spirit is hovering and speaking over places that are typically dead or dying and in need of hope because the news, the promises that even before he was born, he would be filled with the Holy Spirit. God can take that which is dead and bring it to life. There is hope for your brother, your sister, your cousin, your aunt, your uncle, your child, your mom, your dad. There is hope if the truth of God and the spirit were to awaken their dead in their trespasses. As we bring the worship team back out, how do we respond to things? The difficulties of life. I think I've told you this story before. I'm just always in, in awe and wonderment of a dear friend when his, his son, and this was a dear friend who God didn't even bring a wife, but this was a faithful man. God didn't bring him a wife until he was 45. But I remember when his son was seven, and he was diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor. And I called him. He was my roommate for years before I was married. And I asked him, buddy, I said, how, how are you doing? He says, you know, Jeff, he says, God is just so good. He said, in the midst of this trial, he says, I, God seems to keep bringing me back to a place of joy. You see, I could either be bitter and angry over time I'm gonna lose with my boy where I can rejoice over the promises God gave in the time I've had with him. Let me tell you, that boy today is looking at colleges. Stand firm. Second Thessalonians tells us we ought to always give thanks to God because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the spirit and the belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So then brothers, stand firm. Stand firm and hold to the traditions of entering that temple 24 seven, following the prayers of God. 
because it's there. It's in these small and these unexpected places that the ancient promises of God are made fresh and new for us to be found faithful, to give credit where credit is due, to pay attention to all the details, to know that where you stand today is in fact holy ground. And as you enter into the temple that you are now dwelling, enter that gate of Jesus Christ with thanksgiving. Make personal commitment as a living sacrifice. Seek personal cleansing and forgiveness. Pray according to his word. Invite the Holy Spirit for him to intercede. Remember that your prayer is pleasing to God, that it is a sweet aroma unto him. Boldly enter into the presence of holy God as perfect and righteous because of Christ. And there you will intercede not only for yourself but for others because this is a good God. Our circumstances never, will never thwart the plans of God. They will never refute his goodness. Whether your child is given a tumor in his head at seven or he is not, God remains good regardless of life's circumstances. Because God is using that moment to draw you unto himself. That you would put your trust, your hope, and everything in the person of Jesus Christ. And that you would reveal the glory of his word and the glory of Christ himself. Be encouraged that you have the opportunity to be faithful. Because his promises are true. His promises are real. Let's stand. Let's pray and worship this God together. Great is his faithfulness. His word is forever true. Our hope, our trust, our everything is in that. Right now, our prayer team is down here. And if God has put it upon your heart to just come and pray, I invite you. You can even come now. You're not going to upset me by starting your walk. Rather, you can avoid the cattle call out. But... But brothers and sisters, right, last week, Bob prayed for those who would need to come to know Christ. I, I want to pray again for you that if you do not know Christ, let me, let the pastors, let, let any of these prayer words, let us talk to you about who Christ is and what he's done. But for those of you who are in Christ and Christ is in you, don't miss this point. Go. Go make disciples of all nations. When you leave this place of assembly and fellowship, know that we are here today to equip you to follow Jesus Christ. And where he wants you to go is wherever it is today to share the beauty and the loveliness of Jesus Christ. I wish I could come out here. I wish I could come to every single person and lay hands upon you and just say, may the God who made you keep you. May he bless you. May his light ever shine upon you. May each step and each moment of our life be seen as an opportunity to be faithful, to exalt and glorify Christ. Help us, Lord, to grow in your beauty, to grow in your grace, to grow in your son. To him be all glory. Amen. I love you guys. Minister to one another. See you next week. 